Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Conversations That Matter Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris, as always, according to some, the wicked, the dangerous Confederate apologist who makes light of things like slavery and wants to convert everyone by the sword because of his version of Christian nationalism, who admires regimes like, as we all know, the horrible white supremacist Rhodesia, who celebrates things like the dastardly white boy summer. Oh, no. That's John Harris. Yes, according to some, I am uh, the basest person around, and this podcast is uh, more based than you can imagine. Unfortunately, though, when people hear those things, uh, the few who do, and then they come and they listen, they find out it's not as interesting as you guys made it. I thought it was going to be like really out there, lots of fireworks, uh, but but we were disappointed. But anyway, hey, I hope you're all having a good week. Um, it is it is a good week uh, for me in some ways. In other ways, I'm I've been frustrated. I've been um, let's just say plumbing is not my forte. Uh, I spent like two and a half days on a bathtub. I mean, this should have taken me two hours if I was good, three hours. Okay. It took me like, it was, um, I ran to Lowe's like three times. And, um, anyway, uh, I think I finally got it working, but, um, I had leaks everywhere and I'm like, am I over tightening? What am I doing to cause this? I had to keep getting new hardware. Maybe, maybe it's cheap, a cheap tub. You know, what is it? But uh, anyway, I'm I'm doing well. The weather's very nice. I went for a nice bike ride yesterday. Uh, I try to take a weekly bike ride, like a four or five hour bike ride, and it was it was really good weather for it. And um, and I finally did order a, a bicycle, a, a road bicycle. That's what I needed. I have this mountain bike. I ride on like seventy mile bike rides. Which uh, for those who know anything about cycling, you need a road bike or a gravel bike if you're going to be doing it on gravel. But uh, a mountain bike, really, you, you know, that's, I mean, but you know, the positive side is I, my, my legs are becoming swollen. <laughs> like they're, the muscles are just like starting to form as I have to pedal this clunky, like heavy, I think it's, uh, actually, I don't know if it's aluminum or st- I think it might be steel framed part of it, at least bicycle. It's just heavy and, uh, up, up these challenging Hills. Um, anyway, good stuff though. Good stuff. And, um, yeah, I've got a lot to talk about on the podcast today. Uh, man, I don't even know where to start. There's just so much. I figured I would start, by the way. I just wanted, I, I know I've talked about this a number of times on the podcast, but I thought I would mention this. Um, I've mentioned it periodically, but I, I wrote this book, Sacred Conviction, uh, under a pseudonym a, a few years ago. Some of you who are new to the podcast may not know about it, but uh, the story, I, I don't want to get into the whole thing just because it's, uh, you know, it's kind of long, but um, the, the Sparknotes edition is 
uh, I wrote a paper when I was in seminary in like 2011. I got a good grade on it. I I was doing some original research using primary sources that weren't being used in any of the secondary sources on uh, this particular topic. And there aren't many books really on this topic anyway. But um, it's about the theological divisions that kind of contributed to some of the um, uh, tension that the North and the South had between each other during the Civil War. And what the unique thing about this book, and, and I, there are definitely some things I want to change in this, but the, the unique thing, and I, I would I stand by this, uh, is um, I made the point, this is really my thesis, that the scope of evaluating that theological conflict or conflicts really um, needs to start in the late 1700s at least, that the, the scope needs to be broadened. And most um, people who talk about this in the historical profession want to start in like 1845. And it's all just slavery. It's a moral, the moral challenge of slavery. South wanted slavery. North against slavery. And it's just cartoon. It's a simplistic cartoon. And, and that's part of the reason that I think um, I'm fastidious on this particular podcast, or I try to be with sources, because I just don't, I don't trust any, I don't know if you guys are like that. I just don't trust almost anything from academia, from the media. Like I have to really do my homework before I'm going to give you something that that I can put my name behind and say, yeah, this is accurate because it is just, I mean, there's been like three big incidences in my life I can think of where I was at an event and the media covered it and later on, and then it got into the history books, some of those things. And and I'm like, this is totally inaccurate. I was there, you know, you're, you're and, and most of the time the problem is the paradigm is too narrow. It's, it's, it, it, it it's cherry picked. You take some facts, sometimes you make up facts, but you take some available facts but you ignore other ones that would change your paradigm. And so instead of creating a paradigm to interpret something that makes sense of all the available information, we just take a limited sliver that is the narrative we want. And that's what we go with. And, and unfortunately, in history, um, relating to topics, there's so many in, in history. It's almost everything now. But my, my little foray into the historical profession really proved to me, I was like, wow, like 98% of historians are totally compromised. It's, it's critical theory. And, and critical race theory, I know, has been popular for like the last two years in the media. But like I'm talking about like new left ideas, critical theory going back, you know, for the last like 30 years, I, I would say at least academia has been inundated in a historical profession. No exception to this with new left ideas in critical theory. And um, it's unfortunate, but it just changes the way that things are evaluated. So one of the things uh, is this idea of uh, the conflicts leading up to that particular uh, or the, the disagreements theologically leading up to that particular conflict. And so if you start the clock in like 1799, I think that's where I start the clock, and you look at the various conflicts between the regions, you find a lot of conflicts, and there's probably some I've even left out, but conflicts that weren't even related to that particular issue. You find um, a conflict over higher criticism, uh, the South primarily trying to hedge against it with apologetics curriculum, implementing it into their uh, colleges. You have the North uh, instead adopting higher criticism from Europe. Uh, you have um, conflicts over even things like um, uh, the scientific racism of the time, which was mostly based in Philadelphia. But um, in general, a lot of more northern colleges uh, in, in, in general, the North was just much more willing to accept these kind of proto-Darwinian ideas uh, like phrenology and that kind of thing. Uh, ideas like the size of your skull and whether or not that actually determined your mental capacity. And it was mostly Southern clergymen who were fighting this stuff. And so, you know, I talk about that. I talk about, but I, and I do talk about the conflict 
over uh, slavery, but I, I show that it actually was more of a conflict over biblical authority. It wasn't slavery was an occasion for the conflict, but that wasn't actually the primary conflict. And so it's important. One of the things that I said at the beginning uh, was, and, I, and I, I didn't expect to open the whole show this way, so I probably, uh, let's see, should find it. Uh, but I say in the introduction, one more important matter. This is on page uh, 11. It should be stated at the outset that no aspect of this work can justify, nor is intended to justify, the American slave labor system. Because I'm pro-slavery. Yeah, right. (laughs) So there you go. Um, The reason, by the way, and I've said this on the podcast before, uh, and my personal uh, social media going back now years, the reason that I did it under a pseudonym was because at the time, this was right, right when the woke stuff was really getting going in the church, I thought, man, you know, that... Some of that research that I've done, I've added to some of it over the years. I, you know, I've never put anything out there in the public sphere, but I, I, I feel like this information should get out there because there's all these people running around saying that the Southern Baptist Convention formed simply because they reduce it all down to a desire to keep and hold slaves uh, and in like a nefarious kind of evil black hat, white hat way. One side in the north, the Boston Mission Board was just totally against slavery. And then you had Southerners who were totally for slavery and said, well, we're going to keep our slaves because slavery is good. And, the, and it, it wasn't quite like that. And that's one of the things that I have in my research that I, I like my jaw was on the floor looking at some of these primary sources. I'm reading people and I'm like, wait a minute, this is most of these people wanted slavery to go away. They just, it, you know, they were progressive emancipationists or gradual emancipationists. Uh, they weren't, you know, defending slavery in the abstract so much as they were just defending what the Bible teaches about it, recognizing, many of them at least, uh, the prominent ones, recognizing so many of the defects, the, the anti-biblical things that accompany it, but wanting to still hold on to a biblical ethic. And um, anyway, agree or disagree, obviously we're, we're downstream from this and we have a completely different uh, labor relationships in this country. Yeah, we're all owned by the government. <laughs> We, we're slaves to the central authority in Washington. No. Um, well, yes, with the IRS agents that have just been hired, I think that might be true. But, um, you know, looking, looking at men of their times and within the system that uh, was before them uh, and, and how they tried to apply biblical principles to it, you get a, a different story. And so anyway, that's kind of uh, that's kind of what this is about. And um, I, uh, I, it's been sitting around. There's a couple of things I really want to change in it. And you know nothing uh, that I can think of that's like major, major. But I, I'm I'm a different person. I write differently. I probably emphasize different things, uh, and and so I do have a number of unwritten books in my head. I don't know if anyone else has those. And one of them is I do want to to do a, a larger book just in general on the South, the antebellum South. Um, I probably should do one on the North too. But I mean, I got I, I've had this idea of doing one on the Dutch reaction to Yankees, right? Like. Ichabod Crane being the quintessential Yankee, but I live in an area right now, the Hudson Valley. It was Dutch. And anyway, like it's a historical thing. I'd love to do a study of that. But um, I, but I'd also like to do something on uh, so many of the misnomers out there in the historical profession that about the Civil War, about uh, the Constitution and the founding period. There's like 10 books that I'd like to write, and I just don't have time for it. Uh, but Anyway, um, my next two books, I'm probably going to do another one on social justice just to kind of wrap things up in a tidy bow. And then I actually have one on World War II that uh, I'd like to write. And it's just fun. It's fun to do research. Um, But anyway, I I figured I would let everyone know about that. For those who don't know, many of you probably already do, but uh, there you go. And um, 
let's see, what else do we have on the agenda on personal stuff? This is, uh, th- th- this is the kind of podcast some people will complain about because they'll say, John, like, get to the meat. And I like meaty podcasts, but every once in a while, uh, and I-, I know others of you, you like this kind of thing. I like to just be a little more personal and down to earth with you and just kind of tell you this is where things are at in my life. Uh, how's your life going? Put the comments uh, on the YouTube channel uh, if you or Rumble and, or Facebook, by the way. I guess I'm on Facebook, too. And, you know, let's just have a little more of an informal podcast. And I'm not sure exactly where the whole thing's going. So we will find out. But um, let's see, where do we want to start? Let's start with um, let's start with with this. I have uh, just some announcements that I'd like to make. Oh, no, my (laughs) my uh, my sign up genius page has been let's see if I can get back into it. Yes, I can. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about the men's retreat. Just remind everyone Please, please, please uh, consider coming. We got 40 people who have said yes, that they're going to come. There's 11 maybes. Um, sign up, guys. And I know there's more than that coming. Uh, let's see if I can pull this up so you guys can see what I'm looking at. Uh, Should be able to see what I'm looking at. There we go. Dun, 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 dun. There's Russell Fuller. Hey, come on out, please. Seriously, come on out. Um, I think it's going to be a good time. And I'm looking forward to it. And um, it, it's old school. Like you send in a check. I, I've never done this before, so I figured keep it simple. Send your check in if you want to support the conference, or you just want to you want to come and and get your payment in and confirm your registration. The way that's going to happen is you just send a check to the address, and the address is right there to Grace Bible Church. And you know, make the check obviously out to Grace Bible Church. Just itemize. It's for the men's retreat. Put your name there, and uh, we have a running list and. We're looking forward uh, to you coming out. It's going to be a great time. And I'm still thinking of special things we can do. I think we'll do some panel discussions maybe. I know AD Robles is going to be there. So maybe I'll, I'll utilize uh, that. You know, I know some other pastors are coming. I think Edwin Ramirez is telling me he's going to come. Uh, he, he's got a podcast too you, you can check out on YouTube. Um, so I guess I'll be the odd one out. I will be the odd one out if we do a, a panel with a, po- a podcasting panel because not, not only... Will I be, you know, everyone's like, because you're the only white guy. No, not because I'm the only white guy, because I'm not, uh, I, I'm not a post-millennialist. <laughs> I, and, and, and so I'm going to be outnumbered by Edwin Ramirez and Eddie Robles if we do that. Maybe, maybe I'll make the special topic post-millennialist. No, I, I don't, yeah, I don't get into eschatology that much, even though I, th- I don't think it's not important. I think it is. I just, it's, I think there's other things in the triage. There's just other things that I think are important to study. And I, I, I just never have been as interested, but you know, it is important. So maybe, maybe we'll do something. I don't know. But, uh, and there, I'm trying to think, is Edwin Presbyterian? I think he is more Presbyterian. So I will be outnumbered on that too. I'll be the only credo Baptist if we do a panel. See, I haven't talked to them about this. I need to talk to them, but it's going to be fun. You're going to want to come. You really are. And just be part of this. I, I, and I'm, I'm already talking to someone about filming it. So people have asked me, hey, are the lectures going to be available? I want to say yes and no. So don't don't think that you're like, oh, I can just get the lectures. It's not going to be like that. Some of the stuff's not going to be filmed. I'm going to make sure of that because I, I want you to come. Um, but you really come not just for the lecture. You come to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ who have a lot in common with you. In these dark times, there's... To, to find someone who has a lot in common with you on these issues uh, is important. And we're going to be in the woods. We're going to be, there's, I mean, there's only 40 people right now who are, and, and it's a total of what? Maybe I think 46 people right now. It's going to be more by the time we get to um, the deadline, October 1st. And maybe I'll even extend it out. But look, you, you're going to want to reserve a place because it is limited. And uh, 
I'm shooting for probably 75 people at least. And so uh, anyway, you're going to want to come. Uh, that That's one announcement. Second announcement, uh, I just want to let you know about uh, Bradford Christian College. Bradford Christian College, if I can pull it up here, uh, you can uh, check this out. This may be a good option for you. Uh, some people take different roads when it comes to college. And for some, uh, you want to go to a brick and mortar school. You want that quote unquote college experience. And there are some Christian colleges where you can have that experience. And, and But there are different learning styles. And I know for many homeschoolers especially, uh, I was like this, it is really important to be in the home learning in your late teenage years, mid to late teenage years, uh, where you're ready for college, but but still not quite ready maybe to go away from home and, and be in that environment. And so the Bradford Christian College is just one of the places you can go that provides that online learning. But it's not just like, uh, you know, a play, like a bigger school that offers online learning where you, you take some tests, you have some proctors, but you never really form a relationship. This is much different. This is what I like about it and why really this is the root reason why I'm actually willing to advertise this to you because I don't want to advertise anything that I don't think is, is helpful. And I think for some, this might be helpful. Bradford Christian College is accredited. Uh, so you, you have that and, and they have um, they have degrees in uh, a BA in theological studies and a BA in a Christian education. So it is uniquely Christian, but there's mentorship. There's the, and, and you're weeking, meeting on like a weekly or biweekly basis with your mentor. So it's not a, an approach that's just kind of abstract academic without any application or relationships. You're, you're actually getting this sort of hybrid where you actually have someone you're forming a relationship with, you're, you're meeting goals, you have a, a bit of a, a life coach kind of thing, but you're also doing college. And so I, I think it's, it's between these worlds of a brick and mortar school and an online, you, you have Bradford. And so I would just check it out. It might be an option for you uh, if you're looking into where to send your children uh, and, and you're thinking, well, you know, they're not maybe quite ready for that brick and mortar. Uh, you know, this might be a good option. So you can go to the website, uh, bradfordchristiancollege.com and uh, check it out. And uh, there's more information there uh, and uh, check it out. So wanted to let you know uh, about that as well. Now let's get into some news stories. Can we do that? Um, big one that people have been messaging me about is the Southern Baptist Convention, the U.S. investigating Southern Baptist Convention over clergy sexual abuse. That's right. The United States, who could have predicted? Who could have thought? Who might have warned? I don't know. It Rod Martin, maybe. Maybe some people from CBN. Hey, hey, if you weigh this attorney-client privilege thing, hey, if we go down this guidepost solutions path, we might be opening us up ourselves up to some lawsuits here. And lo and behold, oh, that's not a lawsuit. That's the federal government investigating us. And I read from The Guardian. Now, this is The Guardian, so <clears throat> take it with a grain of salt. Leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention said on Friday that several of the denomination's major entities were under investigation by the Department of Justice in the wake of multiple problems related to clergy sexual abuse. Now, Megan Basham made the point in her article for the Daily Wire that, look, th this is not for a group of people this big. They don't have unique sexual abuse problems, but the narrative has been crafted and now you have the Department of Justice taking advantage of it. Congratulations. The SBC's executive committee has received a subpoena, but no individuals have been subpoenaed at this point. Uh, this is an ongoing investigation. I mean, there's really not much more to say uh, other than what's been said. Um, they're just reactions to it. So uh, Mark Devine, who I'm hoping to book actually for next week on the podcast, put out an op-ed. And I just want to give you a little bit of uh, what he said here. He said, um, 
that tyranny, not justice, social or otherwise, accounts for the behavior of the Department of Justice to educated eyes. Parents who push back uh, CRT and transgenderism down the throats of their children are not domestic terrorists. Supposed crimes committed by the former president do not account for the raid on the Florida home. And no supposed crisis of sexual abuse in the SBC prompted Attorney General Merrick Garland to investigate the institutions of the largest Protestant denomination in America. Southern Baptist voting patterns did. Oh, man. This is just, I mean, and look, they're not investigating the Catholic Church. They're not investigating, have they ever? Maybe they haven't, I'm just not aware, but they're not investigating the teachers union. I mean, you, you want to talk about an organization that has confirmed, according to the Department of, of uh, Education, uh, an abuse problem, it would be the teachers union, but um, I don't see an investigation there. Uh, against the directives of their erstwhile leaders, evangelicals, including Southern Baptists, twice voted 80 plus percent for Donald Trump. These voters show no signs of exchanging their politics for Russell Moore's, the Daily Wires. Um, I just mentioned her, Megan Basham. Uh, let's see, I don't want to get past some of this stuff. Um, actually, he cites some of the things I just cited, uh, how this isn't unique. But he's going down the line of saying, look, this is cultural Marxism. This is this is really just a, a targeting of one's political enemies. And uh, it's nothing more than that. So um, I'll read you the last section here. Trump voting Southern Baptists have known for some time that the actions and aims of this Democratic Party have nothing in common with the love of Jesus model and, and that he expects of his followers. Um, this are, okay, so this is from the Western Journal, Mark Devine. And I just, I want to say I pretty much agree with his analysis here. Now, uh, with that uh, came, I'll show you this. Do we, that's not it. Well, we'll talk about that too, but that's not, it's this, okay. So this is a statement from uh, the SBC Executive Committee. And you have um, Adam Greenway and Danny Aiken and everyone, Bart Barber, Al Mohler's on you. They're all, Kevin Ezell, they're, they're saying, yeah, we're, we're on board. Or they signed it at least. And it says this, the SBC Executive Committee recently became aware that the DOJ has initiated an investigation. Uh, and then they say that, um, the leaders have a firm conviction to address the issues of the past and are implementing measures to ensure that there's never repeated in the future. We recognize our reform efforts are not finished. In fact, those efforts are continuing. And we have this abuse re reform uh, implementation task force that they're putting people on that shouldn't be on it. Our committee, uh, our commitment, let's say, to cooperate with the DOJ is born from our demonstrated commitment to transparency. Uh, address the scourge of sexual abuse. While so many things in the world are uncertain, we can uh, be certain that we serve a mighty God. It's, it's just basically saying we're cooperating. We're going to cooperate with this. And so, uh, yeah, don't worry. Don't fear. Um, we, we're we going to do all we can, I guess, to make it a, a comfortable experience for the DOJ, or at least a, a smooth one. Um, now, I wanted in that vein to bring this up. This is First Baptist Church in First Southern Baptist Church in Waterford, California, August 16th, 2022. And it's to Bart Barber. And it says, I'm writing to you to let you know that our members have voted unanimously to remove ourselves from the SBC. The issues for us, and I want to read for you these issues. Listen to this. Here are the issues. Accepting CRT, social justice at seminaries and convention. Movement towards women pastors, Lifeway resources, selling items antithetical to scripture, misuse of funds before by the North American Mission Board, firing of conservative professors from SBC seminaries, the election of the last three SBC presidents, the ERLC and its softening towards homosexuality and abortion, 
plagiarism by the last president and no real strong rebukes by the six seminary presidents. The attitude of the stage at the last two conventions, the necessity to join the conservative Baptist network to find fellowship and identification. That one, it's like, yeah, like we have nothing in common with these other folks. You have to join CBN to find fellowship. Um, that idea of considering the formation of a committee to determine what pastor means. <laughs> oh, man. A highly favorable and push towards pragmatism and a lack of trust in the sufficiency of scripture. It has become embarrassing for me to say that I'm a member of the SBC. And then uh, 2 Corinthians 6 talks about do not be bound with unbelievers. Uh, this is scathing. And this is exactly right. This is exactly right. Uh this is the way to approach this. And this is what I've advocated for now, I don't know, two years at least, I think. Since, yeah, a year and a half, I've at least said, look, you got to leave. <laughs> and I know people disagree. I know there's people, and I'm like, if you're going to stay, fight, you fight. That's, that's, your job becomes that. But if you just want to do ministry and you're like, man, this, this whole thing, um, I would just, it, it's just a drain on the resources and time we'd put into ministry, then, hey, leave. Uh, God's not, he didn't die to save the SBC. He died to save the church. And, uh, and that's just my opinion. But we will talk probably next week to some folks who, uh, Lord willing, um, are wanting to stay in the SBC. And we'll keep that uh, discussion ongoing um, for the strategy. Should I stay or should I go? I know the arguments, but, uh, but anyway, that's where I've come down. And that's where um, this church came down. I just thought, yeah, with, with everything going on, how, I mean, they didn't even mention, I don't think they mentioned the plagiarism. And just, there's so much. There's so much. Okay, so uh, that's SBC stuff. Let's talk. This is also SBC stuff. I wanted to bring this to your attention. I just thought this was kind of interesting. Um, so let's see if I can show you. All right. So um, sorry. Sorry for the technical difficulties here. This is an article by Daniel Darling. Daniel Darling, who is the director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Seminary, and he's, you know, he's done interviews with MSNBC we've talked about before. Anyway, Daniel Darling writes this article. Uh, this is August 16th. And in the article, I just want to refer you a quote. Even if barstool conservatives, barstool conservatives, are ascendant in an age that rewards vulgarity. Okay, so conservatives who have potty mouths. Christian conservatives should be wary of co-belligerence with them. So all that means, co-belligerence means we should be we're, we we should not be. Um, this would be like the Soviet Union and the United States in World War II. We should not be, even though we're different than them. We shouldn't even be in the same battle, assisting one another, or you know, just fighting the same enemy and seeing ourselves in in any sense to be on the same page on a particular issue. We're not the same. We're so distant. We're different. True conservatism at its heart seeks to conserve the good, which is not limited to, but must include the dignity of the unborn and the goodness of the nuclear family. Well, you know, I, I agree uh, that conservatism would have to conserve those things. Um, <laughs> so, I, so, so, okay, agree or disagree, that's his stand. However, I give you Andrew Walker with the opposing view. Now, this is Andrew Walker, uh, in June 3rd, 2020, that's not ancient history. It's only 2020. This is while Washington, D.C. was like on fire, right? As so many of our American cities were. As Trump would say, our beautiful American cities were burning down. And this is what Andrew Walker had to say. Christians need to be careful not to make the same mistake as they engage with efforts to root out race-based injustice. It's possible to condemn looting and rioting 
and highlight the value of peaceful protest at the same time. You don't want to de-escalate things in order to go back to normal life. You still want that protest and you want change. So guess what he's saying? Hey, <laughs> we're co-belligerents. That's what he's saying. We're Hey, those peaceful pro, the, the BLM protesters who aren't burning stuff down. Look, hey, simmer down with the burning stuff. Don't do that. Don't do the rioting and looting. We can condemn that. But look, the protests, we got to, we got to be behind that. We got to be, and of course, who was behind that, right? Who, who, who is BLM? What was the whole narrative that the police, the history of the country, everything was just systemically racist and beyond redemption. It needs to you burn it down, you know, completely revolutionize it. And uh, law enforcement needs to be dismantled and recreated in a new, we know the whole narrative. I don't have to go over it. So Daniel Darling is saying, yeah. Yeah, that's what we need to do. We, we don't want to de-escalate things to go back to normal life. We want protest and change. Okay. All right. Well, um, that's, <laughs> uh, I, I don't even know what to say. Uh, I mean, he, he clearly against the looting, but we're, we're co-belligerents with BLM here uh, to some extent, at least. Christians should be committed to fighting for justice no matter how long it takes to arrive. As Bishop Michael Curie, the first of African-American to serve as presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, said in a recent statement on activism. I wonder if he is an Orthodox. Michael Curie. Okay. Uh, opening and changing hearts does not happen overnight. The Christian's uh, race is not a spirited is mar- sprint. It's a marathon. All right. So no problem there. And all of a sudden, though, we're in 2022. And look, those barstool conservatives, I don't even want to be mentioned in the same breath with them. No co-belligerency there. Okay, can't work towards the same goals with them, but you can with BLM. That's Daniel Darling. Good, good job. All right, uh, and that's Southern. That's one of the, the most influential Southern Baptist ethicists. Can I say the word ethics? Ethicist. There we go. Ethicist. Now, uh, other news stories that caught my eye. Here's one. This <laughs> is so. It's funny. Latino-owned Colorado barbecue restaurant criticized for its plan to host White Appreciation Day. This is kind of like White Boy Summer. When uh, the the people, or at least the people I know who are the most, you know, they post all the, the white boy summer memes. It's very simple to me what they're doing. They are, some, some people I think misunderstand this. They say, well, it's a bad music video by Chet Hanks. Well, actually, no, because I remember the white boy summer stuff. It was, it preceded that, the, the video. Now, Chet Hanks did say it's going to be a white boy summer. And after he said it, it was like the internet went crazy and people started taking it and running with it. But long before there was a video, uh, but um, anyway, I digress. That's just one of the misunderstandings out there. W- really what it is, I think, with, at least with the people I know, I don't want to talk about people I don't, but the people I know is they're, they're, they're just tired of all this, the, these holidays and observances and um, j- j- all the things that are focused on um, now uh, minorities or um, sexual deviancies. Or I mean, you have uh, the Pride Month, you have uh, Black History Month, you have Juneteenth, you have, you, now we've had for decades MLK Day, which kind of combined Lincoln and Washington's birthday now into President's Day. So, I mean, you, you put one on the calendar, you had to take one out. Uh, you, you have, I mean, and there's all the other things, by the way, that aren't like from the federal government, but you just have them um, celebrated in the elite circles, especially in academia and in corporate America. So you have your Hispanic Heritage Month stuff. You have your Indigenous Peoples Day. You, the list just goes on and on. And, it, and these are all fairly innovative and new. 
And I think what the white boy summer thing is, it's kind of a reaction to that. When, when people say like, look, let's have something where we can just, yeah, we know we're all sinners. We know that uh, Europeans have their problems just like other people have their problems, etc. But what we're trying to say is, look, there's some positive things about Western civilization, European civilization. And white boy summer is this kind of like attempt to say, hey, the things that white people enjoy, those kinds of sports that a lot of white people like to do, uh, water sports, hiking, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking, thinking of the memes that I've seen. Uh, let's just say that there's some positive things to being white or, or positive things that Western civilization and, and white people have given to the world. And, and some of the people I know who celebrate this the most are not even, uh, fully white. <laughs> they're like, they're Hispanic or they're, you know, they're, they're something else, but they just are recognizing that, Hey, there's actually white people aren't the devil. <laughs> Can we say that they're not the devil? And here you have a Latino owned Colorado barbecue restaurant, which I would, man, I want to go a barbecue restaurant. Are you kidding me? Uh, man, I'm, why have I not, why is it not in my mouth now? That's the question. That's the real question of this podcast. Why is the barbecue not in my mouth? Um, they want to celebrate white people by having a white appreciation day. Cause it's, it's obvious why, cause white people have been kind of, they gotten a bad rap. They've been like made to bear the brunt and the guilt of like everything. And so they're saying, you know, uh, let, let's just have a, a white appreciation day. I thought it was funny. Uh, you have this civil rights activist in the story, Ricardo Romero. It's wrong and a perpetuation of racism. If you're going to give a discount, give it to the whole community. Well, I don't see them complaining with affirmative action. I don't see them complaining, uh, you know, during 2020 with all the, the black square stuff and the special preference that's given in basically uh, segregated graduations. And I mean, I don't even, Gospel Coalition even got into the segregation thing, segregated conferences, segregated all kinds of things. There, there wasn't an outcry. In fact, that's part of the work we got to do for justice. But if you single whites out for anything positive, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You probably like Rhodesia. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably what it is. You really, really like that white supremacist regime. Um, which was really more of a meritocracy, but uh, that's that that's what's uh, going on now. Let's uh, let's talk about this, shall we? This is uh, I, I wanted to, a new story that caught my eye. I wanted to give you the bad kind of Christian national. If there is a bad kind of Christian nationalism, I think this is kind of it. And I just thought it caught my attention. And I know this is a left wing source. I know right wing watch. I wouldn't. I mean, I'm sure they can edit things and cut things and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and this isn't a clip, though, I think, where that's really in play. It's not like a clip where context is going to make this any different. But uh, this is something I have heard articulated from Christians. And so I do think that it is important to talk about. So we're going to talk about it. Let me just play the clip. This is the lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick of Texas. And here's what he had to say at CPAC. At CPAC. 95% of conservatives believe in God. Okay, 95%. 72% of Democrats believe in God. Only 67% of liberals believe in God. And sadly, only 60-some percent of young people believe in God. We were a nation founded upon not the words of our founders, but the words of God because he wrote the Constitution. He empowered them. We were a Christian state, and we've been blessed because of that for so many years. Now, I don't want to get too hard on the guy. I know the left is, is, getting, is beating this guy to a pulp. I don't want to get too hard on him. 
uh, especially as someone who like, the left, uh, you know, doesn't care for me either. So it's, you know, co- we can have co-belligerency. <laughs> I can have co-belligerency probably with Dan Patrick on like probably a number of issues. Here's here's the thing, though. Um, and let me see if I can. People can't see me right now. Let me move my camera. Here's the thing uh, with this. I think that. I, I, I think we get into trouble. I think conservatives get into trouble when they start going down this path. This, I don't even know what word to use. Hyper-American exceptionalism? Uh, Hyper-Christian nationalism? Uh, I don't even know. I don't know what to say. This, But where they attribute to the United States this divine, in, divinely inspired founding, and it's actually similar to kind of, I think, what Mormonism teaches on the United States. And, and it's eschatological significance. See, eschatology is important. But it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Now, you could say, here's what you could say, and maybe it was just poorly phrased. You could say Christian principles inspired the founding of this country. Christian men and who applied their beliefs were very much involved with influential upon the founding of this country or the uh the we we the assumptions that we um that we've always accepted in our civilization are in line with or based upon christian principles i think that's the way you would probably want to say it and i just wanted to just say for fyi for everyone out there just be careful of language like this where you start saying things like God wrote the Constitution. God wrote the Constitution. We, we have to somehow keep this separate where, yes, you know, people who follow principles and proverbs are going to be more successful. And we can look at the United States and say, yep, lots of sin, lots of worse humans. But there was a basic recognition of some biblical wisdom and it has led to some prosperity. I think we can say that. I don't think there's any problem there. I think, though... Once we start saying that there's a special or insinuating a special covenantal relationship, that we're such a shining city on the hill, that God, there's a covenant that we have with God wherein um, we, we're, we're just like Israel. And if we disobey, you know, judgment, if we obey, those things, I think in general can be true. Blessed is the nation as God is the Lord. Okay, and gen- there's a general principle, but we're just, we don't have a special relationship necessarily. We're not Israel in that sense. We're not God's chosen people because we're Americans, okay? And I hear a lot of leftists talk about it, like that's what Christian nationalism is. You conflate the ecclesiastical with the civil, and you uh, think that Amer- Americans are like the the unique, more you know, better than everyone else because they're more Christian and God's, uh, you know, bless them more because he's got a special relationship with it. And it's like, and I'm like, I hear that. I'm like, yeah, you know, not, not most people don't believe that. No, come on. That's, we just believe that Christian principles and ideas and laws were instrumental in the founding of the country. And we think they should be instrumental and they should be uh, determinative in some things and of our identity. Certainly that we're a Christian country in, in that sense, not that everyone's a Christian, but we have a basic Christian identity. Sure. God didn't write the Constitution, guys, and it's not on par with Scripture. And we got it. We cannot treat it that way because the Constitution is a document written by, by man that has problems. I mean, it's not a perfect document. It's a great document. It's not a perfect document. And in fact, that's why there's an amendment process and why there has been amendments. And there probably should be some more amendments. And uh, and also 
because it's a written constitution and because of all the things that have happened with uh, positive law and postmodernism, it, it's become now almost not worth the, the paper it's written on. And so it's, it's not, it, it's not going to be a safeguard from everything. It's not this divinely inspired catch-all or, or a, a, you know, gate that is going to keep all the evil out or something. So anyway, there's so much more I could say, and I've already waxed long about it, but hey, just, just be careful of that. Just an FYI of saying stuff like that. I don't know exactly where this is coming. Leftists were saying, it's David Barton. It might be. I don't know. I don't know exactly where that's coming from. Okay, another uh, story here that I caught my attention. Wyoming is the first state to terminate its relationship with Panorama Education, founded by U.S. Attorney Merrick Garland's son-in-law. And this is written by Adam Andre Juski, if I said that right. Looks like the Cowboys are going in a new direction. Wyoming State Superintendent of Public Education just announced that state education is terminating its relationship with Panorama Education. Per Superintendent of Public Instruction Brian Schroeder, the Wyoming Department of Education will not be renewing the current contract with Panorama Education. After weeks of consideration, the superintendent has determined that this action is the best. Uh, Panorama is co-founded by uh, Xan Tanner, the son-in-law of U.S. Attorney Merrick Garland. Panorama received national attention last fall after Garland's... Uh, let's see... Uh, okay, so parents who are objecting to CRT... Um, in their children's curriculum, found out, hey, it's this, this company is pushing it. Panorama's survey business is the gateway drug for the controversial CRT teachings. Using information gathered from Wyoming State Auditor Christy Racines, or Racines, uh, Transparency website, our auditors at openbooks.com, found $257,000 in state payments to Panorama. As far as we can tell, this is the only Panorama contract ever canceled by a state education agency. Um, okay, so... I just I, I hope other states go in this direction. It highlights a few things that I thought were interesting. One is how, man, how many hands are in the pot sometimes? And then just when you have Merrick Garland going after parents, but these parents are objecting to something, what was it, his son-in-law is not is directly involved with. It's like, hey, where's the conflict of interest here? Um, and Wyoming, I think, is doing good to say, you know, we're not going to be implementing this kind of curriculum anymore. Um, the, the, we, we don't need the CRT stuff. We're, we're dropping this. We're not using this stuff anymore. And so good for them. Good for them. Um, and okay. Uh, I think that's pretty much all I wanted to say about this. Let's go to the next story. Roy Moore, Roy Moore. Every, anyone remember Roy Moore, the 10 commandments judge, uh, who ran for Senate and then got kind of me too'd. Uh, and then Al Mohler and Russell Moore and all kinds of other people came out and were saying how horrible. I mean, Al Mohler was on CNN saying how horrible Roy Moore is. We should just believe women, right? That, that was Al Mohler of, uh, when was that, 2017? And now Roy Moore wins defamation case against Democratic PAC. Jury awards him $8.2 million. Roy Moore wins defamation case. We'll pray for Judge Moore because he's going to, that's going to be appealed and he's going to have to keep fighting. But, um, I would say good news for the most. I was one of the few at the time. I didn't really have much of a platform, but I was one of the few that I knew of on social media. There was like three of us <laughs> who were not going along with this. And we're saying, look, this, you know, you have flimsy things like, oh, look, he wrote in my yearbook and it proves that he must have like raped me. It was, it just did, that dog did not hunt. And um, it, it reminded me of the Herman Cain thing. And I was just like, do not judge this before evidence comes out. We, we can't do this. And the Kavanaugh stuff happened not too long after that. And Kavanaugh, by the skin of his teeth, was able to get through it. Roy Moore wasn't. 
He lost the election. And, um, and you know, if you remember, J Trump backed Roy Moore, but the Democrat or the Republican establishment did not. And I think even Ted Cruz and, and people, Glenn Beck, I remember Glenn Beck was just ripping Roy Moore a new one. It's like, guys, why, since when did you all become on the Me Too train? So uh, anyway, that's um, a positive development in my mind. And if there is evidence, I'd like to see it. I just haven't, I, I looked into the whole thing at the time. I just, there wasn't any evidence. And um, so anyway, uh, and then we have, this is just making its rounds. I'm not sure if this is new or if this is older, but it's making its rounds now. But anyway, it, it, it came across my feed and I figured I'd play it for you. This is J.D. Greer on transgender pronouns. Check this out. You know, some people on one side are going to say, um, hey, we got to tell the truth. And the truth is this person is male or female. So I would be lying if I called somebody who was female identified as male. There's others that say, well, you know, look, as a courtesy, you should uh, refer to a transgender person by their preferred pronoun. And it's sort of a generosity of spirit kind of approach. And you see evidence in the, in the Bible of that. And so it, you kind of got those, the arguments that I've heard go basically along those two lines. Is it a generosity of spirit or is it you telling the truth? Personally, I think, again, this ought to be a charitable discussion. I lean a little bit toward generosity of spirit. That's where Andrew Walker, you know, that's where he also is. You know, it's if, if a transgender person came into you know, our church came into my life. I think my disposition would be to refer to them by their preferred pronoun. When we want to talk about gender, I, I will be clear with them. All right. All right. So that's J.D. Greer. And I, this isn't new. I mean, as far as the pronoun hospitality thing, he's he said that for a while. Now, Andrew Walker uh, said this. My own position is that if a transgender person comes to your church, it is fine to refer to them by their preferred pronoun. If and when this person desires greater involvement or membership, uh, church leader will need to meet and talk with them. The best solution is to avoid pronouns altogether if possible, calling a person by their legal name or preferred name. Now, uh, that was Andrew Walker in 2020. Andrew Walker, in, so this is, you know, two a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago, that Andrew Walker's saying this. Um, my understanding is uh, from people that are closer to Andrew Walker that he does not believe this anymore, but I don't know of anything online. There, maybe there's something I don't know of where he's... Uh, retracted this. And, and the, one of the reasons I wanted to just mention this, it's not the only one, I just wanted to uh, preface, there's two reasons really. One was, um, I think that this issue is not going away, especially for people in the uh, business world. I was just talking to some people at my church who, I mean, they're inundated with this stuff and they, they have to try to use proper names all the time. And it's, you know, th this isn't going away overnight. Uh, so that's one thing, uh, and and I'm you know talking to um, uh, in, in a coming up. Uh, I'm talking in a podcast with um, Rosaria Butterfield, um, and Rosaria has uh, you basically gone the opposite direction on this and said, "Wait, that was a mistake." And what I'm hoping is that other Christian leaders. I'm hoping people like Andrew Walker do the same thing. I'm really hoping that he um, can come out there publicly and say, "I know this was out there." In fact, it's being used by people to justify this. I don't agree with this anymore because guess what? It's a lie. It's a lie to do that. And I don't want to participate in a lie. And, I, and that's what I'm hoping. Rosaria has, has been humble enough to do that. And I, I hope other people are, are willing to do that uh, as well. Okay. Um, there's just been, I guess, you know, one of the, I'll just add to it. There's just been so many that I can think of. Uh, that have like Al Mohler does this where he just switches positions on something never ma makes out like nothing ever happened. And it's like, you know, when, when people are using your, your stuff, your content where you've advocated something you disagree with now, I do think at least if you remember that you once advocated something different and there's no way with some of these big, you know, big ticket items, Al Mohler doesn't remember 
saying things like apologizing for his belief in like uh, same sex or homosexual orientation and, and that kind of thing. There's no way he doesn't remember that. Come on. Uh, but, you know, it, it, I think you just have a responsibility to to let people know because, you know, it's error. And uh, and we all grow and we all commit errors and we, we hopefully grow from them and we learn. All right. So I uh, wanted to let you know about that. Um, probably the last item just for the sake of time. There's other things I want to talk about, but for the sake of time, uh, there's a book coming out called Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture uh, by Christopher Walken and forward is by Tim Keller. And it, look, it's 40 bucks for the audiobook. $40 for the audiobook. I'm probably going to have to listen to this thing when it comes out November 8th. I don't want to, but I probably will. Biblical critical theory. There's an article about it, which I was going to go over. I don't think I have time. We'll save it. Uh, by Christopher Walken, which probably basically shows what he's going to argue in his book. But anyway, it doesn't look good. And um, I think that's that's where we're going to leave it for today. So... Uh, that's all for, for the uh, Conversations That Matter podcast. Uh, I feel like I'm missing something. I don't think I am. I think that's it. We're going to uh, talk about some other things, um, including... Oh, I am missing... I know what I'm missing. Okay. All right. We're not done yet. Show's not over. <laughs> uh, I did want to... Something that I haven't pulled up that now I'm going to tr- see if I can pull up. I did want to, um, to talk about two things. One was just, I, I don't do this all the time. And in fact, I don't know if, you've, if I've ever done this. I want to do this for this particular church. I have my reasons for it. But um, you can go to discerningchristians.com. And it, by the way, if you have a good church, please go there. Create an account and put your church there. We need it. We need that network of churches. Uh, but here's the thing. Um, a lot of churches are still having a hard time finding a pastor who's not compromised. And so uh, there was someone I was talking to recently who I've met in person who uh, lives outside of Chicago, and I'll put the info in the, in the info section uh, once I find it, who um, just wanted to, you know, they, 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 they're trying to find a pastor and they're fatigued about it. And I just want to say, look, if you're a pastoral candidate, I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's more of a Baptistic kind of non-denominational church. If, you're one, if you don't mind living outside of Chicago in the suburbs and you want a church, I would say apply. And I'm just going to give you the info in the info section so you can apply uh, And if you're a pastoral candidate. So um, I just want to help them out on that. Maybe I'll do more of that kind of stuff in the future just to kind of help network people. But want to let you know that. And then the last thing, last but not least, I forgot to mention this. Um, I wanted to follow up just because there were, there were a few people who were sensitive to or um, disagreeing with some things I said last week on the, the podcast about... Um, rightly ordered affections. And uh, Doug, I talked about a Doug Wilson article. And in, in hindsight, I probably should have taken more time and done... Doug Wilson wrote an initial article where he's essentially arguing against identity politics by showing that Christianity is really the only... It's, it's the significant identity. The other stuff is just, it doesn't compare. And he, um, he also is trying to make a point that Christians need to be charitable to one another. And, and have more love for each other because they'll know we were Christians by our love. And that's part of, I think, why he... Um, but but there, it's, it's the way Doug Wilson writes sometimes is a little difficult. It's very Chestertonian. It's, it's kind of... There's a lot of uh, rabbit trails and things like that. And so I, I think I, for the most part, understood what he was saying. But I kind of... I, I talked about his clarification article. I didn't talk about the original article. So that was the original article. And that's where he said that he has more in common with a Nigerian woman than an American uh, conservative who's not a Christian just because 
um, a Nigerian Christian would would share Christ with him, and therefore there there would be they would have more in common. And and he, he but he said that the lines are always vertical, and so um, that the the way to um, I guess the glue that holds us together is is much more stronger. You and I think with that you have more of a duty, you have more of a, a love, more of an obligation to people who are Christians. Okay, and that, and then a lot of people were objecting by you know quoting Bible verses about how we're supposed to uh, love one another, and this applies to the church. And uh, Christians have a unique love uh, first to the household of faith, and then beyond. And so. I want to just very briefly address this, if I can, because I don't want to spend too long on it. I think I've already said my piece. I don't really have anything that's out that's blaring that that I want to retract. There were some things that I th I don't think I should have said. Like I think I I said I made a um, just an offhanded remark that perhaps Doug Wilson. It, it's I speculated that because maybe he's more of a one kingdom guy that you know he sees things that way, and. I was actually talking to Thomas Accord and he, Thomas was like, I don't think Doug Wilson actually is a one kingdom guy. So I'm not quite even clear on that. He might be a two kingdom guy. So I probably shouldn't have said that. Just forget, forget. I said that, <laughs> that was, that, that was just an offhanded speculation. I probably shouldn't have said, but other than that, I, I don't know that I have much to really retract. I think I stand by what I said. And I, what, what I see is people coming from a few different um, who, who have taken objection to, my statement and, and what I wrote after that, I made a post. Some people seem to think there's one category that says everything is race. <laughs> Some people say that. like all our identity is wrapped up in our race. I don't really know anyone who believes that, but I know th there are people who do. And then, or that's the determinative factor, racial determinism. And then you have the people who say race doesn't play any factor at all. And I would, I'd rather use the biblical language if possible. Let's talk about nation instead of race, maybe. But the concept in the Bible of nation, and this would carry through really, to be honest with you, the age of exploration, the, the term race is very similar. In fact, ethnos, the Greek term ethnicity, uh, you know, is, is often how, it, it, that's the word that's often translated people, or, or I think even nation. So you were talking in the same kind of family here. And, and for most of human history, you would not have conceived of people from other cultures with the global economy coming to you and then sharing all kinds of things in common. You, they had their people, you had your people, and things were, were broadly, generally divided over. Uh, people groups were divided by language, primarily by, um, by religion would be part of it, uh, by, by genetics, that is part of it, by uh, you know, race would, would factor into this. I, I think of race more broadly as beyond just genetics, but just your people, your people would be your race. That's how it's was really used, especially before Darwin. But, um, but, but there's all these things, complicated things, some of them that make you, you and, and today because of globalism and because of, um, I think a number of factors, industrialization, there's just, I can have a next door neighbor who's from, let's say his parents are from Vietnam. And I share, he's my neighbor though. And maybe we go to the same church and I can share more in common with him and be best friends. And then I do people who might share more in common with me genetically, but aren't my neighbors and don't go to my church. Okay. And, and so here's how I'm looking at it. I'm looking at this as there's a number of things that confer identity and race is one of those things. Um, and it's an important thing. It's not the only thing. Okay. Uh, People who say that 
race shouldn't isn't even part of that equation i think they're you're just being like come on like that's how i feel about it. like come on like you don't really you don't think that you know obviously in the new testament you don't even see paul himself right yearned for the salvation of his kinsmen according to the flesh willing to give up himself for them there is a a love that i think does exist there and that's not wrong and i think that's actually um in a world where everyone's moving around all the time and regions aren't don't mean as much and they're uh, broken families and just that to to take every element that confers identity and then just say it doesn't matter i just think it is creates a lot of insecurity and so i i do think uh that that's just one part that's one ingredient in 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 the recipe that makes you you okay it's not the only thing it doesn't mean it determines everything at all um, it just means it's one of the ingredients. And, and I would hope people, uh, no matter what your cultural background is or y- your race, your people, whatever that is, I would hope that you are somewhat interested in that, that you do have, um, I don't know, just you, you can see God's hand, hopefully in the story of what brought you to saving faith. And, and you can look back and you can see the story that God has has um, woven in, in just your, your genetic line, even if that's possible, that's not possible for everyone. But anyway, um, so I, I think that's one area that I kind of, I, I'm just not in that paradigm. So when people criticize and they say things like, you know, I, I'm not emphasizing race enough or I'm emphasizing race too much. I'm not, I'm not emphasizing race. I'm, I emphasize culture if I emphasize anything. Uh, but I'm, I do think that obviously uh, one of the things that does confer identity and I'll put it this way, here, here's a good, make it very practical for people. There is a special love I have for the household of faith. I'm supposed to have that love. There's a special love I have for my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Okay. When I am in regions, I, I, I realized this when I was in Appalachia, actually, I, I didn't grow up in Appalachia, but I realized as I was looking at and seeing the last names, there's a lot of Harris's up there. And seeing that you know, a lot of people look like me and just my heart kind of bleeds for them a little bit, especially because they're so impoverished. I think that's okay. Like that, does that make you a racist or something? Like, no, I think someone who wants to marry someone else and it's fine. Some of my best friends and, and even members of my family are in interracial marriages. I'm not against that at all. I just, I do think though, I don't think it's wrong though for someone to prefer to marry someone who's, more uh, or be attracted to someone who's more genetically similar to them or shares a similar culture or heritage that that's not really unnatural i i so so the thing is um i i put that as one of the ingredients i don't think that's the whole enchilada and people who want to say that there's nothing significant about it i just think don't like i i don't know that it's in touch with reality um and so that's one of the objections i got and um the other well, I already mentioned the other objection that, you know, you should love other Christians more. And the answer to that is yes, but that's also a, an element of proximity. And that's my whole point. If there's any point that I've made in all of this, it's that there's uh, the, the temporal world, there's the eternal realm, two two kingdoms. And yes, I share much more in common with, I need a Nigerian who I've never met, who I don't share a culture with, who I don't share a language with. Who, but if they're a Christian, I share much more in common with them, with them in the eternal realm. And if they're in proximity to me and I'm able to do something to help them, which we have on this podcast, absolutely, we're going to help them. Um, but 
I also have neighbors who are closer in proximity to me who share a lot of these same other these other things, these uh, temporal world things uh, with me. And th that's also an important, very important, uh, you know, an, an American, someone who's an American, I share a lot with them. And we're going to be involved in some of the same efforts. Uh, we, we have some of the same cultural attachments. And if we're going to construct a society and, and find a glue to hold that society together, that's one of the things you're going to want to look at. That's going to be important. So, so yeah, of course, loving other Christians is part of that. But, you know, I mean, to, to, if you wanted to have fun with this, you could pit like uh, obligations to your family. If you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. And then obligations to the church. What about the starving people in your church? Which, who do you feed? Right? You're supposed to value the household. Of well, of course we know. You feed your family, right? That's who you have a responsibility towards first in that scenario. So it, it's, it's going to take a little bit of thinking and just application of some obvious truths and some things in scripture, I think. But um, the point is that it's proximity. It's, it, it's the relationship that you have and how proximate they are to you that's going to determine in some ways how you treat them and uh, how much of a commonality you share with them. Uh, and so um, I just wanted to say in closing, I guess, I think it's it's helpful to use the biblical categories, nation. Uh, we have, is, is there, this is a question I'd ask in closing, do you have an obligation to your people or your nation or your country, if you want to put it that way, but specifically, you know, your people? And what is that, John? I don't know. Yeah, in a fractured society, like <laughs> 20, in 2022 in the West, yeah, it is getting harder to figure that out. But um, and I'm not, and people hear that sometimes and think I'm talking about race or something. I'm not, no, I'm not. I'm talking, I'm, I'm saying that it's much more the complicated than that. It's the people that you live in proximity to, and there's different things that confer that. So race could be one, uh, but your, your culture, your, your language. Um, I, I think that, uh, though your faith does play into this in, into proximity, but, um, but if it's nation, a biblical category, which we got to figure out what that means, nation, or ethnos, do you have an obligation at all to them? Is there any kind of attachment you have at all? That's a question I'll leave open-ended. I think it'd be good to struggle through that and figure that out. And um, and ask yourself, if you don't know who your people are, ask yourself and and come to a conclusion on it, uh, on, on what that is. Maybe you have, there's multiple answers to that, but um, I, I think at least we should be free to ask the question without immediately being smeared as, as racist or something uh that's ridiculous it's it's a purposeful misunderstanding and it, people who say that stuff should be ashamed most of them aren't but yeah you know they're most of them are ignorant in my opinion so i'm not saying that about people in this audience necessarily i, I understand some of the objections to this and some of them actually were pretty good well um in fact um we're gonna talk about the one kingdom two kingdom th thing in a podcast probably next week um, lots more that could be said, but uh, I need to land the plane. It's after an hour, and uh, I got stuff to do. I gotta now that I put in the the bathtub, I gotta put in the toilet, and uh, man, I don't even <laughs> and the cabinets, and the sink, and two sinks, and, and more painting, and there's a lot. But anyway, my uh, my house is coming together, and um, appreciate all your prayers. God bless. More coming by now. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. 
or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.